episode 30, The Vikings. Hi, my name is Clayton Mills. Welcome to A Short Walk Through Our Long History, a podcast where we look at the events of history and try to see how those events shaped our modern world. Last episode, we talked about Charles the Hammer and his son Charlemagne and the Carolingian Renaissance in France and Western Europe that took place at the beginning of the Middle Ages. After Charlie and Charlie were gone, though, Europe settled back into a period of relative darkness without much central control. There wasn't really one dominant power in any part of Europe, and partly because of this. The Dark Ages were a time when a lot of different groups were moving around to new places in Europe, conquering and being conquered. By the time the medieval period ends, which is also the beginning of the Renaissance, most of the big tribal migrations were done. But there was a lot of tribes moving from place to place, raiding other places, and then sometimes settling in those places during the Dark Ages. In Southern Europe, these migrating tribes had been called barbarians by the Romans, and they had mostly migrated in large land migrations. That is, a big tribe basically picked up all their stuff and they marched overland from one part of Europe to another. In Northern Europe, however, during the early Middle Ages, a lot of these tribal migrations took place at sea, as tribes from all around the Baltic Sea took to their longboats and started raiding and then settling the coastal areas of Western Europe. And instead of being called barbarians, these seaborne tribes were called the Vikings. Now, of course, when I say Viking, you either get the image of a huge, fierce, long-bearded warrior with an axe in his hand, wearing a helmet with horns sticking out of it, storming off of his longboat to raid the eastern coast of Britain. Or maybe you get the image of a huge, fierce, long-bearded football player in a purple helmet playing for the Minnesota Vikings, storming out of the tunnel to lose another game to the Packers. In this particular podcast, I'm going to be talking about the former type of Viking, the actual seaborne warriors from Scandinavia. But why would I devote an entire podcast episode to the Vikings? I mean, it's a fair question. I didn't devote a whole episode to the Goths or the Huns. The reason I'm focusing a bit more closely on the Vikings is that this podcast is in English, and so I'm a bit more focused on the history of the English-speaking people in the British Isles particularly, and then eventually in America. And the Vikings had a much more large and direct influence on the history of Britain and eventually America, than did the Goths or the Huns. The Vikings had a big impact on all the coastal regions of Western Europe, in fact. Also, neither the Goths nor the Huns discovered the New World, but the Vikings did. And also, there's no football teams named after the Goths or the Huns. So, the Viking phenomenon was mostly a post-Charlemagne thing. Charlemagne was a strong enough ruler that he did a pretty good job of protecting the coasts of his empire from the Vikings. But when he died in AD 814, the Vikings were more able to raid, pillage, and plunder their Weasley black guts out up and down the coasts of Western Europe. But what was it that started the Vikings plundering? Why hadn't they done it before? And where do we get the word Viking? Because there wasn't really a single tribe called the Vikings. It was more of a category, like pirate. In fact, pirate is actually a pretty good analogy because many of the Vikings were essentially just pirates. They would raid, pillage, and plunder a coastal town, then sail home to have a big party in the Mead Hall. 
So there wasn't like a single tribe that were the Vikings. It was a bunch of other smaller tribes. It was more of a description of a lifestyle. There's actually a good bit of scholastic debate about where the term Viking comes from. But there is an argument, it's probably the prevailing argument, that Viking was actually a verb to go out Viking. It's like going hiking, only it's bloodier and involves more pillaging than hiking usually does. So Sven, the large, angry Nordic warrior, would get tired of his job fishing along the coast of Sweden and would round up a bunch of other fishermen, and they'd get in their longship and they'd go Viking, which meant that they were going pirating. They would sail their longship to a coastal town in France or Belgium or Britain. They'd basically sneak up on the town from the beach. They would raid the town, take all that they could carry, take all you can, give nothing back, and then they would sail back to their fishing town in Sweden or Denmark or Norway, wherever they were from. But what was it that catalyzed this outburst of raiding from the north? Apparently, part of it was simply a change in the weather. I mean, on a warm spring day when it's sunny and nice outside, who hasn't wanted to go out raiding, pillaging, and plundering? It's better than sitting inside and watching TV, right? Around AD 800, there was a shift, a dramatic shift, in the weather of Europe. Remember how things had gotten really, really cold in southern Europe after the eruption of Krakatoa back in 536? Well, things were even colder during that period in northern Europe. But around 800, there was a significant warming trend known as the medieval climactic anomaly, or the medieval warm period. Basically, the Baltic stayed unfrozen, ice-free, year-round for the first time in a long, long time. So the northern tribes were free to go sailing all year-round rather than just June, July, and August. Since they didn't have to get back before their town froze into place again, they could go farther and stay longer. Basically, they could just pillage and plunder all year long. The Baltic Sea was a treacherous place to sail most of the time, but as the weather warmed around 800, it became more navigable and more open because there was less ice. And the coastal tribes, who had to get a lot of their sustenance from the sea, already knew how to sail, and now they were able to go a lot farther. They also had a bit of a technological advantage, which was the Viking longship. These ships which had a combination of a sail as well as rowers, were able to sail about on the high seas, which in the north of Europe were generally quite stormy compared to, say, the Mediterranean or the rivers of Central Europe. But the Viking longships could brave the stormy seas, and it's theorized that due to the medieval warm period, the seas were also actually a little bit less stormy for a while. Also, Viking longships were not very deep. They did not have a deep draft, which meant that they could sail up rivers relatively easily, too, and thus go raiding pretty far inland. In any case, suddenly, the northern tribes that had been forced to stay close to their home shores were now able to sail all over Europe, and they took advantage of the freedom to go out and go hiking. I mean Viking. There are other reasons that they went out raiding and pillaging. The rest of Europe was generally warmer and more fertile than Scandinavia, so part of their motivation was finding food and other resources. There's also a theory that they went to find wives. And part of this theory is that many of the wives that they, they captured from these parts of Europe um, in the south, that these were Christian women, and they brought these women back to Scandinavia. And this was the beginning of Scandinavia being converted to Christianity. It's maybe not the best way to advance the kingdom of God, but hey, it sort of worked there for them. They kept expanding their knowledge of the lands of southern and western Europe and also the Atlantic Ocean. The Vikings explored all over these areas. After Charlemagne died, they were basically unopposed. In fact, in 845, a group of Vikings sailed right up the Seine River in France, and they got almost all the way to Paris, plundering and pillaging as they went. 
They also, in other places, sailed down several rivers in Central Europe and Russia, at one point sailing all the way to Byzantium. They didn't sack Byzantium itself because of its walls, but they did wreak a lot of havoc in the Byzantine Empire before heading back with their loot. Basically, the Vikings kind of wrecked havoc all over Europe and then headed back with their loot. But some Vikings chose to settle down in the warmer places that they found. And that is really why I'm devoting a whole episode to them. Not just because Viking warrior pirates are pretty cool, but because they had a direct impact on the history of Britain. Before we get to Britain, though, I should mention that so many Vikings settled in one part of France that that area got named after them. Normandy, in France, is named after the Normans, or Northmen, who settled there. We'll come back to them in a minute. In 865, some Vikings who had been raiding up and down the rivers of France sailed back down, sailed across the English Channel, and they landed in East Anglia, which is on the east shore of Britain, northeast of London. This group of Vikings was not just a group of raiders. It was a large enough group to be an army. And in 15 years, they eventually had conquered the eastern half of England. Their advance across England was stopped by the English king, Alfred, at the Battle of Endington in 878. Alfred himself was of Anglo-Saxon descent, so the countryside of England was split in half between the Vikings and the Anglo-Saxons. The Vikings held the east, including London, and Alfred held the west. It stayed that way for a while. Then 50-odd years later, Alfred's grandson, Athelstan, fought back, and he finally conquered all the Viking areas of England. In 936, in a battle that happened somewhere in northwest England, no one's quite sure exactly where, Athelstan defeated an army of Vikings and Scots. Now, by the way, that is honestly not an army I would have wanted to face, but Athelstan faced them and he won the battle. So for the first time, all of what we now know as England was under a single king. He didn't rule Scotland or Wales, but they acknowledged him as the king of England. So for now, England was under an Anglo-Saxon king, but Viking descendants had settled all over Eastern Britain, and now they were part of the hodgepodge of ethnic groups that made up England. Now we're going to leave proto-England here for a moment. We're going to go back to some other Vikings who are still out pillaging. In a bit of irony, the Vikings who had settled in Eastern England actually had to defend themselves from, well, other Vikings who kept raiding their coastal towns. In fact, I once visited the English town of Great Yarmouth, which is right on the easternmost English coast, and I got to see the remains of an old city wall there that was built by the local descendants of the first Vikings to keep out other later Vikings. But besides that, there were other groups of Vikings out making history all of their own. A troublesome Norwegian Viking named Eric the Red had settled in Iceland after he was forced to leave Norway because he killed a neighbor. He was known as Eric the Red because of his bright red hair and beard, apparently, not because he was an early communist sympathizer. Anyway, he was also troublesome in Iceland as well as Norway, and so he was kicked out of there and he sailed west and discovered Greenland. Now, Iceland, of course, isn't very icy. In fact, in, in some places, it's pretty green and lush. But the Vikings had called it Iceland to discourage others from coming to look at it. So in typical Viking propaganda, they named Greenland Greenland, despite the fact that it's almost all ice and some rock. Eric wanted other people to come settle there in Greenland, and he did get a few other people to immigrate. But it isn't really Eric the Red I'm interested in here. It's his son, whose name was Leif Eric's son. Leif Eric's son, the son of Eric. Get it? The Vikings were just so good with names. 
I'm surprised they didn't call him Leif Ralfson just to confuse people. Anyway, Leif Erikson, Leif Erikson, also sailed west from the Grey Havens, I mean from Iceland, and he found a new land. He went farther than Greenland. In typical Viking fashion, he called it Vinland because they found Vins there, vines, naturally growing on the, on the island. The place he landed might have been Baffin Island, which is part of Canada now, or it might have been the island of Newfoundland, or it might have even been mainland Canada in the area that they now call Labrador. Honestly, if you look at a globe rather than a Mercator projection type map, and you see that if you've already discovered Greenland, it's really not that surprising that you're going to discover Canada. They're not that far apart. If you're a seafaring nation, if you can get all the way to Greenland, it's just another couple days sailing to get to Canada. Leif Erikson probably landed on Vinland around AD 1000, about 500 years before Columbus landed on Hispaniola, which he called the Spanish island. So I guess the Spanish weren't that much more original at place names than the Vikings. Anyway, Leif Erikson and the other Vikings actually set up some settlements in Newfoundland, and remains of some of those settlements have been found there. In fact, Viking settlement remains have been found all over the north coast of Canada, and even as far inland as Minnesota, which implies that the Vikings might, at some point, have sailed up the St. Lawrence River, through the Great Lakes, then skipped over Wisconsin, and moved all the way to Minnesota. Would have been bad for the NFL if the original Vikings had just settled in Wisconsin on the shores of Lake Michigan in the nice area that we now know as Green Bay, because then we would have the Green Bay Vikings, and who knows what the Minnesota football team would be called. No one would have any idea what to call them. Anyway, it is a nice congruency that there are Viking settlements in Minnesota where the NFL Vikings play. Given the scope of Viking exploration around the world, they probably do deserve this episode all on their own. I mean, the Huns didn't discover Minnesota, did they? No, it was the Vikings. Anyway, let's get back to what the Vikings in Europe were doing. Remember how I mentioned Normandy earlier? A bunch of Vikings who had settled in warm northwestern France? Not long after Leif Erikson discovered the New World, a Norman descendant of the Vikings named William the Bastard sailed a Norman army to England in 1066. He landed at Pevensey in the southern coast of England, and he met the English army near the town of Hastings. On October 14, 1066, the English and the Norman armies met, and it was, according to the oldest sources, a great slaughter on both sides. But the Normans, under William, won. William the Bastard became William the Conqueror. He was soon crowned William I, King of England. His coronation took place in Westminster Abbey, which had just recently been completed. A Norman Viking descendant had conquered an Anglo-Saxon Viking descendant, and now was the King of England. And this is really the beginning of England as we know it. This set up the beginning of the English monarchy and the English system of noblemen and land ownership that still continues somewhat to this very day. William himself was declared king of England, and he took over most of the land of England and began to give out the land to the Norman warriors who had helped him at the Battle of Hastings. He made them lords over large portions of land in England. Those lords could keep their land as long as they swore allegiance to the king, paid their taxes, and participated in his court. Eventually, all these Normans, all these Vikings, eventually began to see themselves as Englishmen. So let's take stock of England in 1066, after Hastings. The settlers in England included the Angles, the Saxons, the Jutes, the Vikings, the Normans, and previously the Romans. 
In addition to all of these settlers, there were also the existing Celtic tribes that had lived there before the Romans. So England was quite the crossroads of different peoples and cultures. These settlers all influenced the English language. Before the Norman invasion, English was a mix of Anglo-Saxon and some holdover words from Celtic, as well as Latin from the Roman period and a smattering of Viking words. After the Norman invasion, English became a mixture of Anglo-Saxon, French, Latin, Scandinavian, Celtic, and other language pieces. It's continued to pick up whatever useful words it finds in any language, even up till this day. And because it's one of the most mixed up languages on the planet, it has more individual words to it than any other language does. So if you're studying English vocabulary and you come across a word that is hard to pronounce, or if you wonder why there are so many English words, you can blame the damn Vikings. So now that we've gotten English established and we've gotten England sort of established, we can take a look at the political system that developed there and is also in the rest of Europe. Next episode, we will take a look at feudalism and why it wasn't fun being a serf. <laughs> <laughs>